With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption in logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Why, as you say, quote, OIG's bold step forward, end quote. Because I don't think any other regulator has so unapologetically declared that the compliance officer should be independent of legal and finance and pretty much everything else. That was Matt Kelly. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. Today, Matt and I take a deep dive into the OIG recently released guidance on healthcare compliance best practices. We focus on the OIG's admonition that the chief compliance officer should not report to the general counsel, but should report directly to the board of directors. It's a great exploration of where the role of the CCO is going. If you've not done so, I hope you will leave us a review and subscribe to Compliance Into the Weeds. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back again with Matt Kelly for another episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weeds. Matt, welcome back. Hello, Tom. Good to be here. Matt, last week we had a fairly momentous release from the uh, Office of the Inspector General around healthcare compliance programs. Uh, both of us, I think, have taken at least somewhat of a dive into it, but you've been able to get out a blog post with one of the first things that jumped out at you, and you pick it up from there. Well, yes. So this came out from OIG, I think, last when last Monday, November 6th. And it is a long document, 91 pages. It is not correct for those of us in the outside of the healthcare world to think of this as the Justice Department corporate compliance guidelines, the F, the healthcare version of that. Not really. There's part of that, but this is much closer to, say, the FCPA resource guide that the Justice Department and SEC puts out, except that for healthcare. As I said, it's a long document. It covers all of the major healthcare compliance statutes that are in the United States. It goes through what a good compliance program looks like. And then the big showstopper, which I think probably is near and dear to the hearts of any compliance officer, is this ringing endorsement for the independence of the compliance officer and really the whole compliance function, where the guidance expressly says that the CCO should not be or report into the legal or finance functions and should not provide legal or financial advice. Moreover, uh, the compliance officer should not be involved in any of the more, I'll call them administrative functions for healthcare. So compliance should not oversee coding or billing or managing contracts or claimed resolution or anything like that. It expressly says, whenever possible, the compliance officer's primary job should be running the compliance program. I think that's a direct quote, but it's really this very sharp, unapologetic, crystal clear call for compliance officers to be independent 
of pretty much everything else and report directly to the CEO and the board about the compliance program. So, Mike, I like, excuse me, Matt, I like the way you compared it to the uh, Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs, or ECCP, because, as you correctly noted, it's a very lengthy document and there's a lot in there. But why is this so startling or why, as you say, quote, OIG's bold step forward, end quote? Well, because, Tom, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think any other regulator has so unapologetically declared that the compliance officer should be independent of legal and finance and pretty much everything else. Clearly, the Justice Department would like to see that. And in many different settlements that the Justice Department announces, that is part of it, is that the chief compliance officer is somehow miraculously independent of the legal function. But the guidance from the Justice Department never expressly says compliance should be separate from legal. It just is sort of implied and hinted at obliquely throughout the guidance. And we also see that, okay, the CCO is independent when there is a specific case that is being resolved and there is a corporate integrity agreement of some kind being signed, whether that's a guilty plea or a DPA or whatever, then at that moment, yes, we see a compliance officer who's independent. The OIG in the healthcare world is not saying that. They are just saying point blank, CCO should be independent, period. Doesn't matter if you're under investigation or not, or you have a consent decree coming or not. Even if everything is hunky-dory and you have nothing to do with us right now and we're not investigating you, still, compliance should be independent from legal and finance and should report directly to the CEO. That's not what the Justice Department says. That's what the Justice Department wants, but I don't think they've ever expressly said it and not in a guidance document that people are going to read as one of the sacred texts. The Delaware Court of Chancery earlier this year issued an opinion which extended the Caremark duties to officers and directors. And in that, they said that the two corporate officers who should have visibility across the organization are, number one, the CEO, and number two, the CCO. Uh, You are correct that the Department of Justice, neither the Department of Justice nor SEC, has required that Chief Compliance Officer report directly to the board. But we do have CCO certification for companies coming out of enforcement actions where they uh, receive some sort of resolution. Do you think we're moving in that direction generally? It is hard to say. I think that would be a big deal if the Justice Department went forward like this as OIG and said it so baldly that the compliance officer shouldn't be the general counsel, shouldn't report to the general counsel, should report to the CEO and the board. And that's what we want to see, irrespective of us, the DOJ, investigating you, a company, because that miraculously somehow brings about that state of affairs. But you know, just to say it as a general best practice, I'd like that. I think most compliance officers probably would like that. Um, But I am not entirely sure that the Justice Department would be ready to go that far. Um, Also, you know, will we see other regulators follow OIG's lead? I don't know. Um, Like the SEC, for example, doesn't actually really have its own separate 
description of what an effective compliance program should look like in the SEC world. They've co-signed that FCPA resource guide, but you know the Federal Trade Commission or I don't know what other regulators might be out there that are heavily involved in compliance settlements. I don't think any of them have ever so boldly laid down a marker for best practices, regardless of whether you're in trouble or not. Um, so it's hard to say. On the other hand, Tom, I think you bring up an excellent point about the Delaware Chancery Court earlier this year when we uh, spoke about that, ruling that compliance officers can have personal liability in shareholder lawsuits when they are executive officers of the company, and they should be. Well, clearly, if that's going to be the standard in Delaware and you're a healthcare company and you have a CCO who is independent of the compliance of, of the general counsel and reporting directly to the board, that sounds like an executive officer of the company to me. And now you would maybe have to worry about some personal liability if there's a big compliance failure and shareholders hauling you into Delaware court and now they're suing you. And I, I don't quite know what to say other than, you know, welcome to the big leagues, Mr. Compliance person or Mr. or Miss Compliance officer. That's what this means is with great power comes great responsibility and great liability in this ever litigious nation. So that's another angle we have to think about. Matt, what are some of the things the OIG says a healthcare CCO should do? You know, they basically do say that you should be running the compliance program, and they even come up with a list. Let me see if I can pull it up. So it's a lot about overseeing and monitoring the compliance program and the implementation of it. It's a lot about advising the CEO and the board about the compliance risks that are facing the business, reporting to the board. There's a lot about, you know, reporting to the board on a regular basis. What is the state of our compliance program? How well is it being implemented? Coordinating with HR about assuring that all of the senior execs, all of the employees, the contractors and whatnot, um, that they are that work with HR to assure that all of those employees are screened against exclusion lists. That is the list that Medicare and Medicaid maintain. If you have had some personal misconduct and you're on the exclusion list, you are not eligible to work with those programs. So therefore, the healthcare company should not be using you. The exclusion list is long and complicated, but it is for, again, for those outside of healthcare, it's kind of sort of like sanction screening, except it's within the United States and it's screening against Medicare, Medicaid exclusion lists. You have to do that before onboarding any of these people. And then once a month on an ongoing basis afterwards. So compliance and HR should work together to make sure that happens. Investigating reports of compliance infractions, including freedom to design the investigation the way you see fit, providing recommended disciplinary action or changes to policy and procedure. I paused on that, Tom, because... Ten minutes ago, we did say that the independence includes you should not provide legal advice. Well, here you are providing recommendations on disciplinary actions and changing the policy. I do wonder about how you clearly separate those actions from providing legal advice. Um, that might be a path or a distinction that compliance officers would have to be extra careful about understanding, making sure that you're on the right side of it. But, you know, those are some of the things. And it's a lot about 
building the program, running the program, overseeing, reporting, advising. Those are all the verbs that come up again and again in this guidance. Well, that leads to a point in your blog post, and we're going to, of course, link to that in the show notes around the question of whether a healthcare CCO needs to have a law degree. Start the discussion by saying one of the best known, longest serving and well-respected former CCOs in the healthcare space was Don Cinco at Cleveland Clinic. He retired at the end of September. Yep. Uh, But he was an eternal auditor and not a lawyer. And unfortunately proud of the fact he wasn't a lawyer, but I saw him be very successful in his position and very well respected in the CCO, healthcare CCO community. Um, Do you really think this is even a, a question that needs to be posed? Uh, it kind of depends. I think more like it is a point that needs to be called out to general counsels and HR people who might otherwise default to, well, it's compliance. Of course, you should be a lawyer because, you know, I'm the general counsel. I'm a lawyer and I deal with compliance stuff all the time. Shouldn't everybody else be doing that? Um, No, no, you shouldn't. And I think you're right, Tom, that Don Cinco is an excellent example. So he came up on the internal audit side. Basically, Cleveland Clinic brought compliance and internal audit into one master function known as an office of integrity for the Cleveland Clinic. Don did a fantastic job at that for a long time. I have seen other compliance professionals in healthcare sort of arise to that from more about managing billing and coding and complying with those regulations, which is onerous in Medicare and Medicaid. It's no joke. And if you run a good billing program at a large institution, you're pretty good at your job because you you can't be dumb and manage those things. That is not easy to do at all. Plus, you know, I think 20 years ago, a lot of healthcare people would have said, well, that's what healthcare compliance is. It's billing and coding. Now, it's more than that now. It's about privacy. It's about codes of conduct. It's about a speak up culture. But, you know, you don't need to be a lawyer for that. And I know some other compliance professionals, including outside of healthcare, who are great at the job, understand it cold, and know they are not JDs, they're not lawyers, and they're still doing great at it. Um, It's more that we need to remind some people in HR and legal professions that you should get over yourselves. Compliance is not legal, and therefore you don't need to have a JD. It would be nice if you did, I'm sure, but you know, I don't think it's necessary. OIG doesn't think it's necessary. So you know, we could maybe see people trying to apply for jobs in healthcare where they might somehow diplomatically point out you called for a JD that's not really necessary. Maybe we'll see changes in job descriptions, but it's it's something that I'll be curious to see how that plays out. Matt, the um, I guess I was really struck by your bigger picture or the bigger picture when we sat back and looked at um, the Delaware courts expansion of Caremark and what they said about the CCO, the steps that the DOJ has taken with the CCO certification and the additional responsibility of the CCO with this OIG uh, document, I think the, maybe the trend might be moving towards having that, that true independence. Would, would that be any, I guess, inconsistent with where you see things headed now? 
it's not at all inconsistent with what these leading voices in the regulatory world want to see. They talk about it all the time. They emphasize the importance of independence and autonomy. Um, OIG is the first one to spell out exactly how that should look on the org chart. But I think that, you know, I think it's a good thing. I, like I said before, I'm not sure other regulators will quite follow suit. I do think that would be a big deal outside of healthcare. I still see in non-healthcare worlds an awful lot of companies where the general counsel and compliance officer are the same person. So if the DOJ was to make this a formal policy pronouncement, we had to split all these roles up, that's going to be a disruptive change. Um, we would just have to wait and see. On the other hand, Tom, again, the point about the Delaware Chancery Court, that isn't going away either. And you would have to think through if you're a compliance officer in healthcare and you do have this autonomy, do I have the right personal liability coverage? You know, am I going to get DNO insurance? Seems to me that would be a reasonable ask if you are reporting directly to the board on something so important and compliance is top notch, top concern in healthcare. So how are you going to get that? How would you handle not getting it if the board doesn't want to give it to you? You know, how do you negotiate with or relate with the CEO if you are going to be in charge of corporate culture, which increasingly compliance officers are? And I still think a lot of CEOs would say, that's supposed to be my job. And so why are you doing it? Or, hey, compliance officer, you want to take over culture? You go right ahead and you know, get that off of my plate, trying to dodge that responsibility. It is an evolving relationship. And from that, we will be able to derive how much liability would I have as a compliance officer in Delaware court or other potential avenues for litigation? And how am I going to cover myself if I'm a compliance officer? Those are the questions CCOs would need to think about. Well, Matt, I am almost sure that we will be exploring this OIG document on later podcast or podcasts. So I can't wait to see what we collectively come up with. Thank you very much, Tom. This is Tom Fox again. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the award-winning Compliance Into the Weed. We've linked to Matt's blog posts on this topic in the show notes. I hope you will check out the blog posts for more information. I also hope you will listen to some of the new podcasts on the Compliance Podcast Network. We premiered a podcast uh, with Richard Blundell on sustainability, the business opportunity of the 21st century. Fox on podcasting, where I take a meta look at podcasting and compliance in AI. We are also developing some additional new shows, which will premiere in July. It's quite an exciting time on the Compliance Podcast Network. If you'd like to be a part of the Compliance Podcast Network, please give me a shout. I'm available at tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Thanks so much for listening. We look forward to visiting with you again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.